0: Lila, I was listening for your voice. I couldn't hear it. I heard Miss Carlotta and Miss Kim right in front of me, but I couldn't hear you. I'm sure you sang up very beautifully. That's a beautiful title, The Throne of Grace. And yet, I'm not so sure if sometimes we might miss the picture of what's being stated by the Hebrew writer in this passage. And I would challenge you When you read Hebrews the next time, read it because there's going to be three statements very similar to this passage that we've just read that make up the entirety of this letter. And sometimes we we think of Jesus as being the great high priest. He is superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. His covenant superior to the old and all these different superiority and and all that is true. But it's with the import of, of our reaction to who he is. And that's what this sermon is dealing with. But yet, sometimes when we hear phrases like this, it'd be just easy to throw out a title like throne of grace and just, well, okay, we got a throne, so we'll get a definition of that word. We got grace and definition of that word, and here's your sermon. And we'd miss the picture. So I'd like for us to to note some things of what's being said that make up the text here and why we have the book of Hebrews. So the first truth about our God... Is that he is holy. And because he is holy and pure and just, everything that is contrary to him, he cannot have fellowship with. As a result, we have sin. And he cannot, will not, because of who he is, have fellowship with sin. And this is true whether we speak of mankind or of angels. And I want us to just look at these two passages that will bring this point out. First one, dealing with the angels. And secondly, out of the book of Numbers, which is where we get some of what we're talking about here in the Hebrew letter. So in 2 Peter chapter 2, look at what Peter says to the saints with regard to the angels that God created and had dwelling in heaven. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous lot, who was oppressed by filthy conduct um, of the wicked, he goes on, well, then what about us? In other words, as, as given in the text here, everyone that has lived in sin and, and wickedness, he does not have fellowship with. That's a truth about our holy God. And so when we go back to the book of Numbers, If you remember correctly, God in chapter 13 sends out spies to go look at the land that God promised to Abraham and to Jacob, I mean, and to Isaac and to Jacob and to all the Israelites, saying, This is your land. I'm giving it to you. At some point, you're going to enter into this land. That is my promise. So God tells Moses and Aaron to go send out the spies, and then then they get all the, the 12 spies to go deal with all the landscape and what have you they come back and saying yeah this this land truly is amazing except for the fact that there are giants in the land in fact they look like giants to us and of course you go back to the actual giants um, that would be read of in the book of genesis the great men of renown and then how they looked at themselves before these giants of men We're just grasshoppers in their eyes And when they look at us, they look at us as if we're grasshoppers. The problem is, God told them, go spout the land that you may take the land. I'm giving it to you. This is the same God who they had seen all the plagues, the ten plagues. This is the same God who time and again, after they left Egypt, by God's strong arm, parting the sea, feeding them giving them drink, fighting against their enemies. After all these things, they're like, we can't take this land. And so in Numbers chapter 14, God is quite upset about the scenario. And he says in the text here, beginning in verse 21... Truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test these last ten times and have not heeded my voice. The result is that these men that God was speaking of were men who of age, that knew better, 20 years old and older, that did not accept the reports that Joshua and Caleb had, but accepted the reports of the other 10 men of Israel who spied out the same land that Joshua and Caleb did. They did not accept what God was wanting them to do. And they all died in the wilderness. Not one entered the promised land. That's our God. He's a long-suffering God, no doubt. We can read of all the things that he... I mean, they were put to the test, or they put God to the test ten times in the midst of all the signs. He said, no more. Joshua and Caleb would be the only ones that would enter the land. In fact, if we went on with this theme, we could see that even Moses, who loved God, who kept... The commandments of God, except for the one in which, because of his not giving God the glory, stayed in the land of the wilderness and died there before Israelites entered the land of promise. There is something to be said for who God is and how we must approach him. This is absolutely true all throughout the scriptures. And that is why... The Scriptures tell us, whether it's in Numbers or it's in other places in the Old Testament, including the New Testament, that our God is a consuming fire. And that's very explicit of the the very nature of our God. And because he's a God who's of consuming fire, he's also noted as a jealous God. But notice what he's jealous about and who for and why. He's jealous for us to listen to him. He is jealous for us to put our trust in him when we hear him speak. He is jealous for us when we belong to him, not to leave him. But some get a picture of God in a very negative way, and because of the way I'm painting my words, you may think, well, Mitch thinks that God's just got this, you know, you got bad God, mean God, good, loving, kind Jesus. And some people have grown up in the hearing of the pulpit, having this picture. That's not true. Our God is a jealous God. He is a consuming fire. He cannot have fellowship with sin, but that does not mean that he is an unforgiving, non-long-suffering, or any kind of negative picture that you might paint for him of this Old Testament God, because he's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Same merciful God. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want us to to read the text here. little lengthy reading, but I want... I I had an hour and a half until someone changed the clock. (laughs) Thanks, Ray. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter um, 4, verse 24. I'm not going to take an hour and a half. (laughs) But I want you to read this with me. Because Moses is demanding before he's going to leave them and before they go into the land of Canaan... To reassure that they will keep the commandments of God. And picking up with this reading. It says here in verse 24. The Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. When you beget children and grandchildren. Have grown old in the land. And act corruptly. And make a carved image in the form of anything. And do evil in the sight of the Lord your God. To provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul when you are in distress and in all these things come upon you in the latter days when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice for the Lord your God is a merciful God he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people hear or ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation? By trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God and there is none other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you on earth as he showed you his great fire and he, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought them or brought you out of Egypt with his presence with his mighty power driving out from before you the nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land as an inheritance as it is to this day. Therefore know this, and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on earth beneath, and there is no other. You shall therefore keep the statutes of his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you, For all times. He goes on talking about a number of other issues. But what what this is really saying is your jealous God is jealous for you. He loves you. And he wants to have fellowship with you. But because of who he is, because he's a holy God, he cannot continue having fellowship with sin. And thus the wicked are destroyed and separated from him. Very clear and abundant. So he is, in fact, a jealous God. Well, the question that is obvious for us to pose then is, how can any of us on this planet ever face him? With a God who is holy and with man who is not, how can we even come to his throne? This supposed throne of grace. Well, we can, again, because of who he is. You see, that's where the high priest steps in. And that's the reason why we even have a high priest of any congregation of people, but especially the Israelites. I mean, there were other high priests, right? We can read of Melchizedek. We can read of Jethro or Reuel. We can read of various high priests that were not of the Israelites per se. But our high priest steps in, and I'm talking of Jesus Christ who is the true high priest, and what we have in the Old Testament from the book of Exodus as well as in Numbers is the shadowy high priest, right, those of the tribe of Levi. And we get to see that a high priest, because he is high priest, is able to do things that relate to the common man, particularly the nation of Israel. We are told, as was just read for us in Hebrews 4, That our high priest has passed through the heavens and while our high priest is sinless he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses just like the other high priests were you see the high priest in the Old Testament he would have to slaughter an animal to cleanse his own sins and once he is able to do that, then everyone else was, is able to go ahead and have the sacrifices that would be brought into the priests and what have you. And, and this was a very significant issue because what that would do for that high priest is recognize, guess what? I'm a sinner too. I sin like all the rest of the nation of Israel. And the high priest is serving as a mediator now. Because remember, they're bringing their sacrifices to the priest's. And those sacrifices would have to be mediated for. And that's where the, the priest and particularly the high priest stands as far as the day of atonement, as far as the daily sacrifices, and so on and so forth. And so the high priest would be able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's weak. He's man. But our high priest through Jesus Christ is sinless. But while he's sinless, he is not without Empathy or sympathy, if you will. I, I can say empathy from a standpoint that he is tempted in every which way we, we were. And he can sympathize because while he did not sin, he knows those temptations. And so there is a level in which he comes to, to understand us from, from a standpoint of living in the flesh, having gone through all that we go through. And because of that sinless sacrifice that he is, the Lamb of God as we were speaking of this morning... Our Savior is able to do what none of us can do. This is why we're able to approach the throne of God's grace. It's through the blood of Jesus. But who put Jesus into this world? Who took his only son, his begotten son, and gave us this high priest? It's our loving Father. God so loved the world, he gave us his son. So it's not like, as some might think, and if you ever were brought up in the scriptures to think God of the Old Testament, mean, you know, not evil, but, but just almost hateful. If, I don't know what the vernacular would be because I, I cannot relate to that mindset, but I've had many Christians tell me, you know, that God is like this in the Old Testament, full of law and justice and, and through grace and truth through Christ, Our God is grace and truth. It's the same God that that gave us his only son. No difference between the father and the son. You don't have bad God, good God. You don't have lawful God here and merciful God there. It's the same God. It is through our heavenly father that he gave us his only begotten son that we're able to come to his throne. Now, mind you, here's this picture of the throne, judgment, right? But with this throne of judgment is grace. Now, let those words sink in. Because for some of us, that word well, it sounds too liberal. That word sounds too off on one end. It's unbalanced. No, it's not. It's the righteousness of God. It's the the will of God. Just as was read for us here in the pulpit earlier. I don't know. (laughs) There you are, Ted. (laughs) Read by Ted out of Romans and out of Peter's letter that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That means we are not getting what we deserve, mercy. And we are getting what we do not deserve, his grace. And I don't know how you can put that on a scale. There is no scale to balance that out, not of any debt that we could owe, because we could never pay it. And hence, when we get back to Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm going to reread Hebrews 4 again. And, and some would, would have this picture of a prayerful life and what have you with, with this. And maybe there's some intimation to that, but that's not the point. That's not the point of why this Hebrew writer is giving us what we call the the letter to the Hebrews. Let me read again. This is in light of the fact that when God gave his people the promised land, they did not take it. They did not trust in his promise. Did not believe that the almighty God that can do all kinds of things like create the heavens and the earth, create mankind create a nation out of nobody, right? Taking a nation from a nation and fighting all their battles for them could tell them, go take the land. These supposed giants, technically speaking, I'm going to just get off this for a second. They're only like one foot taller. (laughs) You know, I wish Brent was here, Ron, because Brent's only about a foot taller than me. Right? He's only like this. Well, I can't even reach that high. But anyway, he's like this. But that's only... Here's our God who created the heavens and the universe. As far as he's concerned, he's not even an atom bigger than I am in the scale of the universe. That's it. And our God can say, you know what, Mitch? You can take Brent down. (laughs) You all laugh. (laughs) With God, all things are possible. And oftentimes, we look at things through our human eyes, and we fail to see the throne of grace that we are before. For some, the message of the throne of grace is that God is strong enough to take you and bring you into his kingdom. Because some of you have this thought, I am not good enough. Why would God even listen to my prayers? Well, it's because of the throne of grace that he'll listen to your prayers. Because you are not good enough. There is not one righteous, no, not one, we are told in Romans chapter 3. Well, it's not because we're good enough. It's because of the throne of grace. Or when you look at the fact that that there are people who are struggling with sin, living their life. And these are people who love God and still fall short of the glory of God. Listen to these words. One more time. Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing then, verse 14, that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Well, what is that confession? That Jesus is the Christ who is superior to the old covenant, who is greater than any of the other creation. In other words, he's the firstborn, right, of all creation. We're told that in Colossians. That that his ways are so far greater than ours, and that because he is the perfect sacrifice who died once for all of mankind, hold fast to that confession, as some would waver. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain that mercy that we we're talking about earlier, that grace that we we're talking about earlier, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that time of need comes to every one of us. And so it is God who loved us and gave us his only son. It is through faith then in Jesus that we have access to our holy God. In fact, that's what we are told, that by faith we have access to grace. Romans 5, verse 2 tells us. So the the faith that Jesus is the Christ, and yes, the faith that will lead to faithfulness, we'll get to that point in just a minute. But is the trusting that God is the one who's able to deliver us. If it were us, and we were told to go take the land, and here we are, we're just shepherds. It'd be the same as y'all laughed when I compared myself to Brent. Those of you who know Brent. They were like grasshoppers in the eyes of these giants. As if God did not know who they were going up against. It is the same kind of faith that time and time and time again, you read through the scriptures, if God is for us, who can be against us? It could be the same words that little young David would have in the midst of Goliath. And because of foresight, no one... Except for David, who looked through the eyes of faith, could say, you know what? You can take him, Because God is with you. See, sometimes we have the lip service of believing in God. But when it comes down to it, how practical, how fundamental is our faith to the words that we can read in Scripture? That we truly believe that God is able to deliver me. That we're truly able to believe that our God is there for us in our time of need. Because that's the throne of grace that we're talking about. This is the same throne that allows for us to live the way we do. Now here's what I want you to come away with with, with this sermon. It is because of that faith that allows us to come to this throne of grace boldly, as Scripture says. That you live your life For Jesus, that's the invitation song that we have. Do not be like the Israelites who with lip service can easily, having seen all that God has done. And by the way, we may not have personally seen the miracles and the signs, but it's written for us. And blessed is the man who has faith in the things that have been written down for us. Do you trust in your God to see you through your daily life? Your daily struggles that that maybe many of us aren't even aware of, but you struggle with them. Or are you like the Israelites who believe that God cannot see you through the giants before you? Because God will slay them. But you need to put your trust in Him. He has given you victory. In this life. Ultimately the victory of the promised land. Which is to come. But we have been given this kingdom. That we belong to now. And we should live as citizens of the kingdom. Holy and acceptable. And well pleasing to God. Because of the throne of grace. That we are able to boldly access. If you are not living that life. I urge you to stop and reread The book of Hebrews. And read this passage here. And Lord willing, we'll get to the other two passages that will reemphasize these points slightly different in the coming coming months. But if you're also here and you're not even following our God, know this. Our loving God who gave you his son is still the same God who is a holy God and cannot have fellowship with you if you still are in sin. Cannot, will not, because it goes against his very nature. But he tenderly calls you through the blood of his son that he gave to us for your salvation. You can have that right now. So together we stand and sing.